Be careful now. Big Daddy's on the sand here. Big Daddy's on the scene. He ain't gonna let you get away with nothing. Now, you hear what I said out there? I said get on the stick. If you expect me to be on the stick every night, you better be on the stick. I mean, you're just as good as what you get, man. I don't give him any rope, I'll tell you. Oh, let me tell you, I saw a fantastic moment. Are you ready for it here? One of those fantastic moments of unconscionable humor. I mean, sometimes you you have you're forced to 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 face the fact that hardly anything that you can write comes anywhere near what really is. Not if you really look at it. Like about uh, oh an hour or so ago, you know, it's hot, it's summertime, it's New York, and New York is like a gigantic cake of yeast. You know, in the summertime, Fleischmann's yeast it's beginning to ferment. And you can you can almost you can almost hear human passions flowing like thick turgid rivers down to the old stinky Hudson. Oh yeah, you know you see the guys sitting around in the doorway, and you see windows open, you see glittering eyes peering out at you. And I'm walking along, and I just uh, I made the bad mistake of actually wearing a pair of sandals. Yeah, that puts you in a peculiar class sometimes. I'm especially since I have silver bells on them and gold fringe. Pick them up in Greece. SL number fourteen axle variety. Yeah, I'm going along, see, paying attention to nothing except my own burgeoning psyche. When all of a sudden I am aware of a man sprawled out on the sidewalk ahead of me. He is bagged to the ears. He is just laying. You know, the kind of the kind of sprawl out where he is just so much out, it's like he's a wet noodle and don't tip my gag to him and let me tell it first. He's laying there, just sprawled out, and I'm you know, the kind of sprawl he's like he's like he's like an old dish rag. And he's he's just sure that's all torn and his his one shoe is half off, you know, the kind of bit, and there's about seven bottles of empty sneaky peat all around them. <laughs> oh, he's you know he's laying out on the sidewalk, and he's beside a show, one of these one of these theaters. You see, he's lying on on one, uh, in the east west forties rather, next to a theater. He's sprawled out there, see. And of course, these people in the theater are looking at some whoopee thing with Carol Channing, you know, about real life, you know. Hello, Dolly, what you know, Dolly. Yeah, it's seventy-four dollars a crack. They're sitting in there watching mediocrity that's very loud and parading before them with teeth flashing and eyeballs spinning, and I, and we're out there, you know, walking around in the heat, getting getting real life free. This guy's laying there, and you can see one shoe. That's I like that touch where he's sprawled out and one shoe is half off, kind of like that. You just wonder, just what momentary spasm of activity kicked one shoe sort of half off. He's lying there. 
and about five empty bottles of this sneaky peat. You know, the kind of wine you can smell for about four blocks, and it always smells like there's something rotten somewhere in Denmark. That kind of cutting wine that reminds you of the smell you get when your Ford would boil over on a hot summer day. You know, and you smell the radio, you know, that, that cutting kind of raw alcohol smell. He's laying this, he's just flat out, not moving a muscle. And I'm walking along, see this guy there, this Hulk, and uh, he's, he's, he's bombed. When all of a sudden the stage door opens, right next to this guy, the stage door. Now, I don't know whether this guy was in the show or what. But, <laughs> but, but strangely enough, he came popping out of the stage door, and he's dressed in what looked like a bellboy costume. But it looked a little too bellboyish to be a real bellboy costume. It looked like a stage bellboy, you know, with the frogs across the front, with the, with the, with the gold buttons and all that stuff. And he had a big grin that was like pasted on him. He looked like Wally Wimple. He looked a little bit like Tilly the Toiler's boyfriend, you know, the guy with the hair plastered down. He comes popping out of the stage door. And he starts running down the street. And instantly, my, my razor-sharp mechanical mind immediately, you know, just snaps shut like a bear trap. And I says, aha, I know what it is. End of the second act, and this guy's popping off for a drink. He's, you know, he's whipping down. Yeah, you know, he's running down the street. And uh, he's running very fast. And suddenly he sees our friend that's sprawled out on the sidewalk next to him. And then in this high, clear voice, he looks down at the guy. And as he runs past, he says, all right, everybody out of the pool. Let's go, everybody out of the pool, buddy. This guy stirred slightly, and they, the bellboy went tripping on down the street with his big golden frogs glittering in the sunlight, and three other guys sitting in doorways surrounded by half-empty sneaky peats watched this scene, you see, and, and you could just see the, the glittering animosity in their skull as they saw the man who was capable of tripping down the street right after the second act and hollering, all out of the pool now, let's go, all out of the pool. And the whole scene was laid out there before me. I said to myself, this isn't quite Frank Lesser. This isn't the way Frank Lesser really paints the beautiful, lovable bums on Broadway. You know, what are their names? Some of those guys, Detroit Nathan, Allison, here they are, you know. I <laughs> lay there and just sprawled out. And, and instantly I realized this is the this is the prime time of Bumville. The summertime, the hot summer weather. Oh yeah, this is this is the time they come alive, man. Oh yeah, this is the truth. No matter where you go, there's always a guy sidling up to you know with a with a with a about a six week growth of beard saying, uh, 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 excuse me, sir, but uh, uh, I've got to get back to Scarsdale. He's got to get back to Scarsdale. If he ever showed up in Scarsdale, I'll tell you, they wouldn't let his feet touch the ground. <laughs> he said, I'm going to get to Scarsdale. I, 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 I. He puts his claw out. Oh, there's all kinds of subtle variations. And so, as I, as I, as I stood there in this, this, hot, that, this hot summer air sneaking down into me, I immediately realized that it was the time, once a year I do this, it was the time to read... One of my my favorite summer recitatives, recitations. Yeah, it was a balmy summer's evening, and a goodly crowd was there, <laughs> which well nigh filled Joe's barroom on the corner of the square. And as songs and witty stories came through the open door, a ragged vagabond crept slowly in and posed upon the floor. Where'd he come from? Someone said. 
<laughs> the wind has blowed it in, yeah. What does it want? Another one cried. Some whiskey, some rum, or gin, huh? Here, Toby. Come on, come on, Toby. Sick him. If your stomach's equal to the work. I wouldn't touch him with a fork. He's as filthy as a Turk. Yes, this badinage the poor wretch took with stoical good grace. In fact, he smiled as though he thought that he'd struck the proper place. <laughs> yeah, come, boys. I know there's some burly hearts among so good a crowd. I can tell it. To be in such good company would make a deacon proud. Give me a drink. Come on. That's what I want. I'm out of funds, you know. Well, when I had cash to treat the gang, this old hand of mine was never slow. What? You laugh? As though you thought this pocket never held a sou? Yeah. I once was well fixed as you, my boys, any of you. Ah. Dear, thanks. That braced me up nicely. God bless you, one and all. God bless you. Next time I pass this good saloon, I'll... I'll make another call. Give you a song. No, I can't do that. My singing days are past. My voice is cracked. <laughs> See, I can't sing. My throat's worn out. My lungs are going fast. Say, I got an idea. If you give me another whiskey, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll tell you a funny story. Huh? It's a fact. I'll promise to. Huh? Uh, that I was ever a decent man, not one of you would think. But I was some four or five years back. Hey, get, come on. How about, give me, give me another drink, huh? Come on, fill her up, Joe. Come on. Want to put some life in this old frame of mine. Oh, come on. Such little drinks to a bum like me. So miserably tame. Come on. Ah, there you go. Five fingers. That's the scheme. Ah, corking whiskey, too. Well, here's luck, boys. And landlord... My best to you. <laughs> My regards to you. Yeah, you've treated me pretty kindly. I'd, I'd like to tell you how I come to be such a dirty sot. The one you see before you now. You know, fellas, as I told you, once I was a man with muscle and frame and, and health. But for a blunder, I ought to have made considerable wealth. You wouldn't believe it. I was a painter. I'm not, not one of them that daubs on brick and wood, but an artist. But a real artist. And for my age, I was rated pretty good. I worked hard at my canvas. I was bidden fair to rise. Yeah, for gradually I saw that star of fame coming up before my eyes. I made a picture. I made a real picture. Perhaps you've seen it. It's called Because of Fame. And it brought me 1,500 pounds and added to my added to my name. And then, boys, I met a woman. <laughs> now comes the funny part. Yeah, with eyes that petrified my brain and sunk into my heart. Why don't you laugh? <laughs> it's funny that the, that the vagabond you see could ever love a woman and expect her love for me. <laughs> it was so. And for a month or two, her smiles were freely given. And when her lovely lips touched mine, boys, it carried me out to heaven. With, the, with a form like the Milo Venus, too beautiful to live. With eyes that would beat the corn or a diamond and a wealth of chestnut hair. 
Oh, if, if so, twas she, for there was never half so fair. And then one day, boys, I was working on a portrait. It was one afternoon in May of a fair-haired boy, a friend of mine, who lived across the way. And Madeline admired it. And much to, much to my surprise, she said she'd like to meet the man who had such dreamy eyes. But it didn't take long to know him. And before the month, before the month had flown, my friend had stole my darling. And there I was, left alone. And ere a year of misery had passed above my head, the jewel that I treasured so had tarnished and so had fallen that she was dead. And that's why I took to drink, boys. <laughs> why, well, I never saw a smile. I thought you'd be amused. I thought you'd be laughing all the while. Well, come on here. What's the matter, friend? There's a teardrop in your eye. Come on now. Come on, laugh like me. <laughs> it's only babes and women that should cry. Say, say, boys. Say, uh, boys, if, 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 you'd, if you'd give me just another whiskey, just one more whiskey, I, I'd, I'd be glad. I'll be glad, and I'll draw right here. Right here, I'll draw a picture of the face that, that drove me mad. Hey, give me, the, give me that piece of chalk, the one that you used to mark the baseball score. You'll see that lovely Madeline upon the barroom floor right here. Another drink, and with chalk in hand, the vagabond began to sketch a face that might buy the soul of any man. And then, as he placed another lock, the final lock, upon the shapely head, with a fearful shriek, he leaped and fell across the picture, dead. The face upon the barroom floor. about that? <laughs> hey, oh, speaking of sodden drunk, that reminds me, this is W-O-R-A-M and F-M, New York. Do you have any of those whoopies? Oh, hey, listen, I got a letter from a kid today. He says, Shepard, I want to tell you, you're batting 500 in my league as far as suggestions now. He said, the other day, I tried your suggestion. I took a peppermint stick and I stuck it in a dill pickle. And he says, and I sucked on that thing. And he says, for about two minutes... I tasted an elixir so delicious, I couldn't believe it. He says, Shepard has hit the jackpot. He says, for two minutes, I sucked on the thing. It tasted so fantastic. And then all of a sudden, he said, there's a gurgle. And the next thing I know, he says, Shepard, I heaved up stuff I didn't even know that I'd eaten. He says, you're batting 500. He says, you struck out on that one. The one you hit on. He said, Shepard, I heard you talk about Mandarin House down on 13th Street. This is a real letter. I'm quoting it. He says, down on 13th Street, and he says, I, I decided to go down, and he says, I did not know Chinese food could be so fantastic. And I would like to suggest to any of you who have gotten a little bored with the usual uh, egg roll, you know, the usual uh, mugu gai pan, uh, the usual sweet and sour pork, that if you want to try oriental food, man, that starts where most Chinese restaurants stop, Magnificent Mandarin. But I'm not kidding. Go down to the Mandarin House on 13th. It's a great place. They've got a garden. And the food is superb. It's one of the greatest Chinese restaurants anywhere in the East. It's on 13th Street between 6th and 7th. 
They're open seven nights a week. They've got a bar. And believe me, mwah, oh, oh, man. You're going to find it tough to kick the Mandarin habit. That's 13th Street between 6th and 7th. And by the way, give them a call if you're looking around tonight for a place to go to pick up a lobster roll that is out of this world. Call them at Watkins 90551, WA 90551, and tell them Friendly Fred, the face on the barroom floor, sent you. See what they say. Hardly any of them speak English. <laughs> That's Watkins 90551, Mandarin House. Let me see. We've got, speaking of other great things, we've got Rover here, the Rover 2000 TC. By the way, I saw a Rover out on the Connecticut Turnpike the other day coming towards me when I'm going out and I saw a guy's head screwing around all around uh, ahead of me behind me around me all trying to figure out what it was and you know I wanted to run the one I wanted to run the window down rover 2000 man it goes and it was a beautiful blood red rover and I'll tell you that's a magnificent car with that with that black leather upholstering it looked like it did not mean to stop and if you're looking for a fine automobile, if you just like to look at the pictures of a beautiful car and dream and figure that one day when you make the move to buy something really fine, one of the finest of its kind, I would suggest you drop a car at the Rover here at WOR, and we'll send you pictures, technical specs, colored pictures, the whole scene, and ain't nobody going to come and knock on your door. The Rover people ain't like that. This car is genuinely in the Rolls-Royce class, a great car. You know, do you want to hear another one of those, uh, those, uh, uh, tonight, I, you know, I'm, I'm walking down the street and I see this thing, this little scene, uh, that vignette I did not invent, and I thought I gave a magnificent reading of the face on the barroom floor. Didn't you think so, Don? You didn't. Why not? Oh, come on. Now, you know, even Don, you could see the tear coming in Don's eye. And, the, oh, sure, you know. And, and I want one kid to holler in there, get up off the floor, chef, and continue on with the show. I want to hear one little applause. It's a trouble with doing something on the radio, getting on applause. A little applaud in there. Can I hear one, one guy applauding, and I'll continue. I want to hear one guy holler, yay, hooray, chef, wow. Then I'll go on. I thought that was a great performance. I, I like that. That, that, that little uncertain side. says, well, boys, uh, I just like uh, the drink. Say, how come none of you are laughing, you know? <laughs> you like him? You said that with a fearful shriek. That's a nice... You, you want to hear another bum poem? You know, you don't hear me. People today don't write poems about stuff they see in the street. They don't, you know? I, I'm so bored with the usual poetry you read in the New Yorker, Harper's Atlantic, or Evergreen Review. Guys either write about their own seared psyche. Yeah, they always do this. Or they write about... The little fleck of light that touched upon the swan's head as I was walking through the shriveled wood and I could hear the cry of a child borne upon me by the wind from the far off, you know, it's uh, John Updikesville, you know, that's, that's something else. Here, here, here's the scene, listen to this one. The cold rain fell and the damp wind blew. All of you had this scene, you know, you, you, this is a scene you've all had. Is there a kid out there who wants to hear a cheer? All right, all right, where is he? Come on, is he there? Now, I better hear some cheers. You got the guy that's on here? Hello, kid. Okay, come on. Let's hear some cheering, man. Come on, hit it hard. Yes, right. Thank you. I will continue. <laughs> All right, wait a minute. Hey, you think I make a pretty good bum? Now he's gone. You know, the face. Oh, now, listen to this one now. Now, here's, here's the kind I like here. Listen to this. 
the cold rain fell and the damp wind blew. You got, got a little of that blues in there? Just bring a little of that. Just a little for, for mood there. It's all right. I don't mind if it takes. Just a little mood. The, the, the piano. That's it. That's beautiful. Listen to this now. Ooh, the cold rain fell and the damp wind blew with a clammy chill that struck clear through. When the tramp accosted the passersby, hey, stranger, give me a dime or so that'll get me a bed and a place that's dry. Oh, it's a beastly night for a homeless bull. Give, come on, give me a dime for pity's sake. Come on, give me a dime. Said the man, the passerby, you look like a fraud, a fake. The thin man shivered with wet and cold. Yeah, well, maybe I am, but I'm getting old. And I'm, I'm, I'm chilled clean through. And I ain't out here because I'm enjoying the atmosphere. Now, suppose I am a thief, a tramp, a bum, a drifting ship on the city scum. I suppose I am. I guess I still can feel the cold and the wet. And I ain't out here by choice, you bet. On a night like this, most any guy would rather be where it's warm and dry. Yeah. If this is graft... It's a graft that's hard. Plenty hard. And what I get, I've earned it. Hard. What I get. Said the passers-by after a brief pause. I guess you're right. Here's your dime, old pal. Good night. <laughs> you won't see that in the New Yorker. <laughs> you know, speaking of speaking of summertime, I get like this the summer. You're just gonna have to put up with me. I get I get like a cake of Fleischmann's yeast with feet. And uh bum money. Oh yeah, most of us carry around in our pocket bum money, sure. You, you know, you very embarrassing moment. You know, you're 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 walking down the street and you're telling your friend about liberty and, and uh civil rights, and you're talking about all great things, you know, you're this hard-hitting liberal, and you say, well, I don't know. As far as I'm concerned, Johnson isn't really concerned with the civil rights. Get out of the way, you bum. No, Johnson isn't even concerned with the little people. No. He's, oh, it's all politics. For crying out loud, what do you think he's looking for? He's looking for votes, that's what. And, oh, here comes another one of them bum. Get out of here, will you? Move out of the way, bum. And I, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Constantly, we're always we're constantly torn between the reality of our of our abstract concepts and somebody coming out with a claw, you know, and give me some dough, and looking at you with the watery eye and the big veins on the side of the nose, you know, and says, uh, "I just want another cup of coffee." You know, this guy hasn't had a cup of coffee since the fall of 1918. It ain't coffee he's after, you know, and and maybe he calls that stuff. You know that there there are some there are some joints that 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 will assuage a bum's conscience. I mean, you know, these, these real crummy bars, and I, and I had a friend, a bartender friend, who worked in a crummy bar for a period of a month one time, and he told me that a lot of bums have a peculiar conscience about that problem. You know, they'll ask, ask you for a cup of coffee. It's going to have some... Uh, I, I'm, I'm, really, I'm looking for coffee. It's, it's what I want is coffee. Just, just a little coffee. It's all I want. And they, they've worked hard, you know, the, uh, so that their teeth chatter. It's a hot summer day, and their teeth are just... Uh, a little coffee. It's just a little coffee. Well, now, what, what are... You know, after Obama's a human being, and he, he, he doesn't want to admit that he's out there scrounging and, and uh, he's, he's lying and all that stuff. And so many of Bowery 
bar where they sell this real crummy rot gut, you know, the stuff like 50 cents for a half gallon, you know, the stuff that they make out of old used antifreeze. You know, they put a little maple syrup in it, you know, that kind of stuff, and they, 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 they uh, strain the caterpillars out of it and that stuff, and, and they buy it in these jugs. Well, uh, many a bar, are you aware that many a bar, when a bum comes in, you know, he comes reeling in and his eyeballs are red and his nose is running and he's got this quarter in his, in his hand. He walk up to the bar and the, and the bartender will lean over the bar and say, coffee? And the bum goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he pours out this, this, this great big schooner, this awful, fantastically bad rot gut, and puts it in a coffee cup. And they call that stuff in many a joint, they call it coffee. So he can feel justified in his mind that he has bought a cup of coffee. That's called coffee in many... <laughs> so, you know, everywhere, everybody's kind of rationalizing. And I'm walking around the summertime and I say to myself, oh, wow, it's summer, it's summer. And, and I, I'm looking down, a curious little... A lot of little things all sort of fall into place. And I, I come out of the restaurant after I'm eating and... And there's, a, there's an old torn newspaper. It goes flying across. The hot summer wind blows it just about an hour ago. Blows it down the sidewalk in front of me. And I'm walking, and I notice, I don't know what the story was about. I have no idea. Maybe you saw it in the paper. But here was a big picture, a photograph of a frog. Yeah, big picture of a frog. And it looked like some tabloid paper, like the news or, or the post or one of them. Or the Enquirer, even, you know, like my, my best friend married a frog or something like that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, there, there's, a, there's this frog, see? And, and I look down, and the frog is looking out of this page, looking up at me. And I swear, I really, I'll swear if, if, that, if that frog didn't have six feet. It was a frog that looked like he had six legs. Well, I was in a hurry, so I didn't stop to pick up the paper. And also, there was about nine guys sitting in the in the hallway there. And I didn't, you know, I don't want to start scrounging papers. The next thing you know, somebody comes along, hits and grasps me on the back of the head with a nightstick and says, move along, buddy. As soon as I see you picking up old used papers with cigar butts all over me, you're able to get one back of the ears, see. So I just kept right on going. And I thought to myself, frog, frog, for crying out loud, I haven't seen a frog, you know, the, the frog. And then I remembered a, a, a sad little story that came out of England here a couple of days ago. I don't know whether you ran across this. Do you know they're very worried in England right now? Very worried. And, and uh, they're, they're taking steps in Parliament. They have just put up a fund to take steps. They're worried that the frog population has practically disappeared in England. No frogs. And they mean real frogs. They, and, and the piece that I read said they, they mean bullfrogs. They even mean toads. Uh, they mean uh, uh, frogs, real frogs, you know, little cheaper frogs and all that stuff. And it says England is suddenly aware of the fact that nobody's hearing frogs anymore, and they're worried about the frog. Only England, I say, would really be concerned with with frogs disappearing. I remember one time reading a poem. Somebody wrote an English poem uh, that he wrote about a toad, a real toad in his garden. This toad lived there for about 48 years. The same old toad would come out, and he and the toad had this long thing together, both of them, you know. He'd come out in the spring, and the toad would show up, and he said, I could tell it was the same old toad because he had a scar over his eye or something. And uh, year after year, me and the toad would meet out there in the garden. He's, he's working his little bit, and I'm working my little bit. And one year, the toad did not appear, and all of a sudden, he got frantically afraid. Not only was the toad gone, but he was reminded forcibly that time had passed. And that one day, and he just left it hanging there, you see. 
he and this toad. So, so I, I, I see this picture on the, on, the, on the ground there. Am I boring you this time about toads? I see this picture on the ground there about the frogs, see? And I walk a little bit further, and I look around. It's Times Square. Of course, there's 87 million gigantic signs telling me that life is more dynamic than ever before and that I should hop on this nearest jet plane and take off to that city. Have you seen the picture they got there that, that says to get on the jet plane and go to that city? It's the damnedest-looking city I ever saw. It, it overlooks Times Square. I don't know who painted that picture, but he ain't no painter. He makes Grandma Moses really look like she's out of sight. Uh, there's this, this terrible picture of this city. It's supposed to be a Rio, I think. And it looks like a, a medium long range view of a typical Long Island, Long Island cemetery. Yeah, all the buildings look like tombstones. You say, oh, I don't want to go, you know, wow, I'll take a flight there, you know. Maybe, maybe this guy has a little subconscious thing about flying in airplanes. I don't know, you know. <laughs> Who knows? There's all kinds of subtleties and stuff. Here's Times Square swinging and the people yelling and hollering. There's a demonstration going on out there. Guys walking around. Hey, ah, ooh, ah, kill, ooh, ja, ooh, hey, love, peace, war, ooh, ah. They're walking around. You know, same. And there's a couple of guys sitting on the back of a truck watching the demonstration. You know, with about, with about the same involvement, you know, as you'd watch a, a snake ordering a glass of beer, you know. He, ah, ooh, ah, these guys with the beards and all these little tall, thin girls with mustaches and sandals are walking around holding their signs up. So I'm watching the scene there. Little short, fat girls with sandals, too. They're kind of nice. And so I'm watching the scene, and it's hot, and the steam, and the smoke, and the, you know, the, oh, it's all New York-y, all wrapped up. And when I said, frog, why not? What am I thinking about frogs? And suddenly I am, I am struck. I'm, I, I'm... I go another half block and I walk past this sporting goods store and I got a lot of ball gloves and junk in the window and I look at the ball gloves and I'm thinking of the frog and wondering about that six-legged frog and uh, I see the the softball bats and I see a couple of Louisville sluggers in the window there and I suddenly thought, yeah, I remember one day, those frogs. Have you ever been in a frog storm? Ever heard of a frog storm? Sure you have. I know you have, Don. Well, a frog storm is precisely that. Oh, boy. If you've ever, if you've ever been in anything that you think is exotic, I'll tell you, uh, about three or four years ago, maybe five years ago, Wisconsin, I remember reading the stories coming out of Wisconsin with fantastic uh, avidity. I was really avidness. Is that the better word? Uh, I was I was reading them ravenously because they were stories about a sudden inundation of this area of Wisconsin by frogs that came out of the the lakes around there suddenly out of the swamps it was in the spring and early summer just about this time of the year as a matter of fact early July right right uh, right when things are starting to heat up you know this is really summer is really getting into a into its full full-blown first gear. It's really starting to move. And, and suddenly one night, the guys were sitting on the porch in Wisconsin, in this little town. People were sitting around. It was about dusk. And they were having their beard. They were smoking a cigarette. When they could hear from the distance, they could hear what sounded like an advancing hailstorm. But it wasn't a hailstorm. It was like, uh, like a thousand rusty gates were swinging. And somebody said, "What? What? What? What's that? Is it sound like a like a like a rusty freight car? You know, with the wheels squeaking and making a racket and yelling and hollering?" And the first guy on the edge of town let out a holler because across his lawn a wave broke. 
literally a wave broke. Just right across, out of the bushes they came. It's like a wave. Millions of frogs. And they, they just hopped in a great wave, a great green wave, over his yard. And as they did, you know, of course, they're eating everything in sight as they go. You know, frogs, they like that. And, and they were just roll over there, and they're cheeping and making the sound. And he ran back up on the porch, and, and there he is. You know, he rushes in the house and gets a, gets a broom. And by the time he got back out, they were already about halfway down the block, and this great river of frogs was, was completely inundating the town. Millions and millions of frogs, as far as the eye could see. So much so that cars couldn't go. You could not drive down the street. I mean, what are you going to do? You drive along over 48,000 frogs every five feet, your car skidding. And, boy, you know, and also there's a certain squeamishness involved. Well, this, this, this frog storm lasted. For, I'm not inventing it. Everybody's walking around probably thinking I'm inventing this. This is not. In fact, the New Yorker did a two-part profile on that particular story. Now, I'm not sure whether the guy who wrote the story had any actual personal involvement with such a frog storm. But I have had such an involvement. And anybody who's ever lived in the lake country, in the Midwest, anywhere around the Great Lakes, uh, in a hot summer, the hot summer uh, eras, when, 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 the, when the weather is hot and the swamps begin to go down low, you know that something is afoot. And we had a swamp about a mile or so from our house, a real swamp. And I mean this swamp went, it's not what you people out here call a swamp. Uh, this swamp went, oh, I'd say a good, uh, well, let me think now. I'd say a good eight or ten miles in length. A real, uh, practically uh, non-explored swamp. Nobody ever went there. And the swamp went almost to the shore of Lake Michigan and stretched inland, oh, probably... Four or five miles, a great low swampy area that many eons ago, according to local rumor and geological fact, uh, that many eons ago, that had all been lake. Actually, the lake uh, had come way deep in Indiana, and most of the country in northern Indiana had been underwater for many, many eons. And then the lake slowly receded, leaving this great sandy bottom, which is northern Indiana, these great sand hills, too. Uh, which which came about as a result of glacial action, one thing and another. And here is this this like the bottom of a of an enormous bathing beach, and the, only the water is gone, and that's northern Indiana, sand. And and there was an area that the lake had not entirely disappeared from, and that was called the Big Swamp. Cattails, as far as the eye could see, big live oaks standing there, uh, with with vines hanging down from them. And there would be white snowy owls, and there were wolves in that area from time to time would be spotted. And there were a lot of wildcats there, too. We'd, we'd hear a wildcat. Have you ever heard a wildcat at night? That's a, that's a great sound. I'll tell you, if you've never heard a wildcat at night, it's, a, it's something that, that once you've heard it, you can't forget it. It doesn't sound like a, like a regular cat. You know, meow. You know, the regular cat. A wildcat has a scream, really. And a wildcat goes, wow. That's a wildcat. And out there in the in the swamp, you'd, you'd, you'd hear a bobcat. He's out going about his business, looking for whatever it is he's looking for, anything that moves, actually. Uh, oh, yeah, they, they, they hit frogs, and they'll hit, uh, they'll hit mice and rats and one thing or another. But their sound is a great sound. 
It's like they get a second wind. And that, then once in a while you hear one go, ah, 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 ah. Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's a bobcat. Well, one afternoon, old Shep, you know, I'm about 16, 15, something like that, and we played baseball these hot, steamy afternoons. Uh, we played baseball almost uh, addictively. It was, it was just a reflex action. You know, it got to the point, when you play baseball like 19 hours a day for, say, four straight years, you get so that you don't even think about fielding ground balls. You do it just as automatically as, as like walking. You don't even think about it. You just instinctively react. You just pick up a ball, and, and, and it gets so that you, you make these quick scoops of, uh, of uh, short hops and one thing and another without even thinking anything about it. It's just as natural as uh, swallowing water or closing your eyes or sleeping. And so we're out there playing ball. It was a long, hot July afternoon, and old Shep is deep in center field. And I'm standing, and it was a, a real a league ball game. It was, it was a very official game, and I'm out there, and the, the grass was kind of high. It hadn't been cut for three or four days, and the, and the grass was a little bit higher than normal, which meant that ground balls uh, didn't come out with the usual steam that they came out with. But you also had to be careful because your footing wasn't as good as it usually was out in center field. So I'm, I'm out there in center field. I don't know why I was playing center field. I didn't play center field very often. But I happened to be in center field this day. And I'm, I'm standing out there. And, and, and when you're out in center field, you, know, you kind, of, kind of keep your head low. Because the way you keep, your head, you keep your head low, because that way you can see the ball coming in. And you can better, better see the ball when it leaves the bat and goes up. If you stand too high, oftentimes the ball has a tendency to fade into the gray background. It, it fades into the crowd or it fades into the backstop. So you get caught. So you keep your, your head low, usually. You don't watch a center fielder down there. You ever watched Hank Aaron? Hank Aaron is not a center fielder, but watch Hank Aaron play, play the outfield. He keeps his head real low all the time, looking from down up, so that when that ball comes up, the instant it leaves the bat, he can see it against the sky. He can see it coming up. But if you stand too high, you know, you have that problem. So anyway, I'm down there real low and walking around. It's hot. Oh, boy, it was like 78 degrees uh, in, the, in the cold shower, uh, I would say the temperature was in the mid-90s, roughly, and the humidity was possibly in the same range, about 95. And it was hot, and we were about in the fifth inning, one of those long twilight games that begin at 6 o'clock. And, of course, night doesn't come out there uh, in this time of the year. Night does not really start getting serious till about, oh, maybe 9 o'clock, quarter to 10, something like that. And I am, I'm laying real low because it's getting just a little gray and bluish. That little beginning haze is starting to take over. And you can see that tiny figure down there batting. And once in a while he'd hit off a long foul or hit a ground ball down to third. You move a little bit. And the center fielders, you know, get, to, get so that you have a kind of a whole little world all of your own out there. Have you ever wondered? He's not really involved in the game that much. And when he is involved, though, it is desperate. Oh, yeah. When, when somebody belts a long shot out the left field, that one moment when he's involved, it's life or death because four runs can come in when he messes up. See? So you get so that you play with the grass. You, you pluck grass. You ever watch Mandel out there picking grass once in a while? You, you pluck the grass and you look at the dandelions and you, you pick up. Uh, and I had, a, I had a particular kind of grass that we used to call it uh, mustard. It wasn't really mustard seed, but we called it mustard grass. It's a thin kind of weed that has little seeds that grow out of the top of it, and, and chickadees like this. Uh, various birds like it. It's, it's got a bitter, you know that mustard grass, you know that thing? Well, I used to love to taste that. I would eat, I would eat that all the time out there, and I'd like that biting sense on the tongue. So 
we're playing this long hot I'm sweating boy I'm sweating through my uniform and I remember just it was a hot and clammy and uh, I'm, I'm looking I can see the cars running along the road outside of the ballpark just moving along I'm watching them going past and, and up around the lights and we had these lights by first base and over by third base and back of home plate and there was one or two of them out in left field I could see Beck lying around the lights at just beginning when somebody ball a curious moment that I, I just went like that. And I knew it was coming. You could just tell the way he's swinging. It's got to come to center field. I saw the ball come up, and I, I know immediately it's a hit. You know, you know, you know right away it's going to fall in there. So the ball arches over second base. I came in. I saw that everything is happening once. The ball is coming towards me. I'm going in, and I felt very funny. I'm running like this, and I said, what the hell? I mean, what, what's going on? I'm running, and I, and I, and I said, see, this grass is really... And I see the ball land. It bounced twice, bounced crazy, and rolled and stopped, but in, in a way as though it had landed in quicksand or mud. Well, I ran up to feel the ball, and I scooped down to pick the ball up. The runner is now rounding, rounding first, and because the ball didn't roll out too far, he's going to try it for second, you know. So I came in, I scooped that thing up, and I, my glove is all tangled up. I reached in, and it's wiggling, and I've got a whole glove full of tiny frogs. They were millions of tiny frogs, no bigger than a dime. I would say no bigger than a dime. Bright green, they were as green as, as uh, the most bright yellow green grass. Tiny frogs with white underbed, and they were like tiny jewels. They were beautiful little frogs. And I had a whole glove for them. I grabbed the ball, I whipped it into second base. The guy slid in, you know, and he slides in. And as he slides in, you see a funny look on his face. And the entire infield had suddenly, without any warning, become covered with frogs. He slid in over a whole, a whole phalanx of millions of tiny peepers. Well, I trotted back out to center field, and by now I am I'm almost, almost ankle deep in frogs. And the entire outfield is suddenly writhing with where they came from, I don't know. The, the, the rumors were that they came from the swamp. And the people up in the stands, you can hear them, hey, oh, wow. They were yelling and hollering. The peepers were now climbing up in the stands. The entire field was inundated with these tiny, yellow, green, beautiful, jewel-like frogs with the little bitty red eyes, little tiny red eyes, little cute little frogs. And I picked some of them up. And, and there's a lot of yelling, and the umpire comes running out. He says, time, time, and he calls the crowd. Well, that was the first and only ball game I have ever heard of that was called because of frogs. So help me, the ball game, and the next day in the paper, it says game called because of frogs. At the end of the fifth inning. And, and I, I will always remember that strange feeling of seeing that ball. And I looked around, and it was as though the grass were alive. I could see it heaving, like it was kind of a sea. And the left fielder is looking over, and he's got a handful of these things. He's throwing them up in the air. And I picked up some, and the little things are sitting in my hand. They're looking up at me, and I'm, wah, 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 they quack. <laughs> well, we wandered back to the, the, they had a dressing room, the clubhouse. We wandered back to the clubhouse. And, and by the next morning, they were all gone. They didn't even leave a dead body behind them. That was the night the frogs came out and decided to get in the act. The night the frogs decided they wanted to get in the box score. The first game of the only, called because of frogs.